0: Welcome back to GGM UK's podcast, placing women and ethnic minorities at the heart of all of our projects. My name is Dila and I'm here with my co-host Danielle, and this month we are celebrating black history on our podcast by welcoming an incredible range of women to discuss everything from cultural appropriation, appreciation to fetishisation. Cultural appropriation has been a highly contested topic of debate for years now, but what even is it? And have we maybe gone too far? I think we should kickstart the discussion with introductions.
1: Hi, so I am Amy. I'm 24 years old. I am currently doing my LPC, my legal practice course, um, to qualify as a solicitor. Starting in September 2021, I'll be working with the government there. Um, So kind of issues of law and justice and culture and identity have always been really important to me. Um, And I've been writing for Naked Politics, which is a blog that Van Secker co-founded, I think, am I correct? Around about a month or so ago, I wrote an article about this exact topic, cultural appreciation versus cultural appropriation, particularly in the context of Adele's carnival attire this year.
2: So I'm Benseke Kayambi, um, I am the director and founder of Naked Politics and Naked Politics aims to basically amplify um, young people's views and engage them in politics and make politics a more kind of young youth-friendly place for them. Um, I'm also a freelance writer, um, mostly writing about issues around race, feminism, youth issues um, and popular culture.
3: Hi, my name is Helen Fleming-Williams. I'm 25. Um, and in my day job, I work as an innovation associate. So I basically help InsurTechs and FinTechs kind of get into the London market. So like financial services and stuff. Um, what I do outside of work is I run a platform called Let's Get Litical, mainly big on Instagram, I guess. I guess that's my main place. But essentially what I do is kind of Um, highlight stories of exploitation through infographics and things of that nature. I guess one or two months ago I was on a podcast talking about appropriation especially when it comes to Beyonce and whether Beyonce was appropriating African culture and I've also written articles so I wrote an article for The Guardian um, especially at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of talking about my experiences growing up being black and British. So yeah and I've just launched a business called The Lytical Consultancy which h- helps to aim and um, to stop companies from virtue signaling but actually make real change within their practices.
0: Nice to meet you all and thank you for joining me and Danielle today. So my definition of cultural appropriation is the adoption of marginalized communities cultures without really understanding the history behind them and in some ways exacerbating stereotypes about the marginalized group.
2: I would also add as well that appropriation can only happen with from people who are from the dominant culture. So if I do things from white culture as a black woman, That's not really appropriation. That's me trying to assimilate. That's me trying to meet the expected standards that I'm expected to meet. So it doesn't kind of work both ways, much like racism in general. It doesn't work both ways. Um, It's very much kind of top down. And it's the people in the more powerful positions in society who adopt the cultures of people lower in the racial hierarchy. Things
3: being like ghetto and then sometimes when a culture of power takes it and then all of a sudden it's reinvented as cool.
1: Yeah, I think I'd agree. I'd say even if you look at the formation of the verbs, like to appreciate and to appropriate, there's definitely one party who is kind of owning that verb and kind of taking away whether or not you're appreciating or appropriating at the end of the day. It's a more powerful party kind of using or taking or appreciating that other party's culture and identity. So it
0: reinforces this societal imbalance between the dominant and less dominant communities, Helen you mentioned writing about your experiences being black and British
3: what were they like so I what I would say to that is I grew up in very central London Um, so to me it was very normal that everyone had like two or three cultures within themselves or two or three identities I guess like I've always seen myself as a like a Londoner more than I've seen myself as like British or English and I think maybe that's semantics but maybe that's just the way Londoners see themselves when you have like multiple identities so even though our school was all segregated because in some senses we all kind of had our own cultural elements that we brought to it there was this kind of element that like we're all kind of we're all kind of battling one or two cultures and that's absolutely normal that's very very normal I think I didn't kind of realize or maybe I did realize and I didn't really know but when you when I started to for instance go to university in Nottingham you you start to kind of realize how white England actually is and you start to realise that this bubble you grew up in is really just London and it's not necessarily the representation of what England is as a whole so you ca- I feel like I went from a bubble of kind of everyone is different to a bubble of people don't even know like the basic knowledges that I would expect anyone to know who grew up in London and then I guess after that I I lived in Malaysia for a bit which was completely cultural shock and you kind of have to battle this notion of like people not even seeing like black people before and then coming back to London to kind of work I kind of work in a very white male old predominant um, area so obviously someone like me when I'm walking around I definitely stand out even though I work in London I work it for a very old organisation so I think For me, the way I always have to battle it is always trying to bring my full self to work because I'm in an environment where a lot of the time people just don't know what I go through or understand the experiences of a black woman and the strange niches and quirks that come with people and their microaggressions on how they speak to you. And sometimes I'm not sure if they realise they're doing it or if they are just gaslighting me. It is horrible to hear because it's like you grew up in central London, you also work in central London, but it's like what one or two tube stops away and it's a completely different world it's a completely different world and i think especially cuz i work in like the financial services and stuff it just doesn't it's not really a good representation of you got to remember as well people commute into work into london they're not in some ways they're not really londoners and they're not really people who i kind of grew up with they're people who moved to london for work and stuff so london is such an amazing city but you do have so many cracks within the concept of what it is. And growing up here is very different to working here. And you can see that even from the people who perhaps you went to university with, who then moved to London post university, they're not necessarily coming from the same background as the people you grew up with. So we're kind of like battling these two identities or maybe multiple identities. Maybe I'm doing what I've always done, but just I've added on another identity.
1: Yeah, I think just in terms of London and my experience, I grew up in London, but Southwest London, Um, kind of Teddington, Twickenham, Kingston area. So kind of completely much kind of whiter, the kind of classic only a couple of people who aren't from a white background in your class kind of at school. But I think really now I live in central London, I live in kind of Camberwell, Peckham area. And I think that's a really interesting place to look at when you start looking at ideas of being black or being not being part of the white ethnicity and how there is that, like you were saying, natural segregation between different types of people there's an issue with kind of gentrification and kind of young white middle class 20 30 year olds kind of coming in moving into these areas because they think they're a bit edgy a bit of a buzz forcing all of those rental prices those house prices up and unfortunately kind of outpricing local people often people who are non-white, out of the area, and it doesn't really sit well with me, and kind of the part that I play in the process is something that I do think about something, do think about it all the time, I am confronted with it on a daily basis, whether that's, you know, getting on the bus, or just literally walking out the street just outside my house, Mm. and I think kind of how am I living so close to people from a completely different background, and yet am I really like you were saying, the cracks, am I really understanding, am I really seeing, am I really talking and communicating to different people who aren't like myself, kind of 20s, 30s, living in London, working, middle class, not. Like,
3: I mean, it, when I went to university in Nottingham, for instance, I wouldn't necessarily, let's say I was indulging with talking to locals all the time and like yeah. really getting part of like what it was like to grow up in Nottingham. There's There's obviously going to be a divide wherever you go, but perhaps... London has just become so extreme that you know the average person can't just live here and like you said once the housing prices go up then you 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 actually break a whole community which is Mm -hmm. like you said we see in Peckham we've already seen it in Hackney in East London Um, Dalston all these
2: types of areas and it it just continues to happen really yeah it's kind of funny because like I've had the opposite experience I would say to Helen in that I grew up in like white suburbia so my experience of diversity was really limited for a really really long time I, I probably didn't experience some level of diversity until I went maybe to uni which wasn't even in London it was in sorry, which is not even <laughs> it's not even that diverse let's be honest um but yeah no so like I to the point where I think like I grew very used to being around whiteness and I, I mean that in the sense of whiteness being an ideology like I, I grew very used to the microaggressions to people never wanting to learn my name to people you know to making funny comments about my hair or, or just that constant feeling of being very othered to the point where like I think it took me a really, really long time to unlearn a lot of that stuff and to unlearn what had been taught about my hair and how I looked and, you know, being proud of, of my hair stu- and all that stuff. So, and I actually look back on it now and I actually think to myself, it's quite damaging in some respects. that I grew up in that environment and I, I think to myself, like, if I had the choice with, like, my ch- future children, I would not bring them up in that environment. I would bring them up in somewhere diverse so for me I guess London will always be this magical place where like I can at least feel like a surface level of of comfort that I really didn't feel growing up in in white suburbia it does really impact you and and affect you quite quite deeply. You
0: mentioned the word assimilation when you described the difference between appropriation and appreciation slash assimilation is that what you were referring to kind of from your own upbringing you learned to assimilate And that was like a a damaging thing for you.
2: For sure, yeah. Like you learn to assimilate and you learn to do it very, very quickly to the point where sometimes I'll do it very seamlessly. And I can hear myself sometimes doing it as well, like at work, like Helen referenced as well. Like, so I work in um, Parliament is my main job. And you can imagine that's like... very white very male blah 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 and and very posh as well so like you constantly feel like I can hear myself sometimes like reverting back to how I feel like I should sound in order to minimize my otherness and minimize the fact obviously people can see black when they see me (laughs) but if I can minimize it in some way by making them feel more comfortable making me sound a bit more like them making me look a bit more like them maybe my hair will be straight rather than curly like it is right now that sort of thing then That kind of like eases my experience compared to, you know, if I didn't do that. So yeah, and and assimilation is something you essentially feel forced to do. It wasn't really a choice for me to like dislike my hair or or dislike my cultures. It was something that was very much impressed on me and it felt like I had to assimilate in order to survive or be able to do okay. Which is of course very different to appropriation, which is very much done at the whim of, of the dominant culture.
0: We can reference to Adele here as a white woman from London. I'm sure we've all seen the photo from Notting Hill Carnival. What do you think about that? Because I know she grew up in Tottenham, um, which is a diverse place. But is it enough to have friends from the black community to avoid being accused of cultural appropriation?
3: Do you know what? I, like, <laughs> I personally feel like the conversation about appro- appreciation and appropriation has gone too far. Mm. Like... As someone who grew up in London, like we we adopt everyone's culture a little bit. Like we adopt Arab culture, we we adopt Bangladeshi culture. Like we we take a little bit of everything. Even if you think about like London slang, it's got a bit of patois in it. It's got a bit of Yoruba in it. It's it's just taking everything together. So when when I saw like that picture of Adele, I think of like Bantu nut, and obviously she was doing it to kind of show that, you know, because it, it was when Notting Hill Carnival was. So in that sense, I just feel like we just need to kind of let it go. It was just a bit of fun. And to be honest, like for instance, I went to Trinidad Carnival this year. I'm not from Trinidad. And I have to think about myself within those conversations. Now, did I think I was appropriating the culture? No, I definitely felt like I was appreciating it, but because I'm white and understand the power structure within that, all she was doing in my opinion was appreciating what Notting Hill Carnival is. And Notting Hill Carnival is a major part of growing up in London and London culture.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Adele one, it's, it's a difficult one, really. For me, it wasn't really a, a clear-cut case. I wasn't mad about it, but partly like, I'm not Jamaican. Like, I've got African heritage, my dad is Congolese. So on the one hand, like Helen said, like do I even have a right to be mad about it? Do I even have a right to step into the conversation and be like, you know, you're appropriating blah, blah, blah. And I also do like Adele. I think Adele also balances out some of this by, one, clearly being at something that was linked to... Um, black culture, so she wasn't kind of just using it in a kind of decontextualized way. She wasn't really making probably any money off of it, and she has also spoken about black issues. Let's give her her dues on that as well. She's not like the Kardashians who stay very quiet on issues to do with blackness, but then they will kind of make all kinds of financial gains do their links to blackness. I would not put her in that category at all. I still like Adele and I don't really have a problem with her. Her scalp was probably really hurting after those fancy knots. That was the only thing I thought. I was like oh my god her scalp is screaming. I think that the issue is ultimately being about power dynamics. You're always going to have those conversations until we live in a world where we're actually equal and where there's there's a level playing field. So people will make noises and to a certain extent I think white people kind of have to just deal with that because at the end of the day we we live in a world that is hugely unequal racially and whilst we still have those inequalities those questions of appropriation versus appreciation will still be there because there's always this unfair power dynamic whatever Adele's intentions which I think were all right there's still that power dynamic under there which is you know she's white she's got x power black people don't so until we live in a world where that's really seriously leveled out I think there are always going to be people who are going to be saying those kinds of things and I personally I feel like white people just kind of take that on the chin and maybe do more work towards you know living in a more equal world.
1: Yeah I think kind of writing an article about Adele in that particular situation was quite difficult because people clearly felt quite strongly either way even when you just went on the Instagram comments you know some people were completely supporting her other people were you know, really having a go. And when I was writing the article, there was one person I spoke to who said that she was dressing up as a caricature of a black woman at what is known to be an anti-whiteness event. And then other people they described her as an ally, even as a as a friend, and kind of didn't see a problem with her appreciating what is a staple of London culture and has been for a really long time. I think it kind of goes down to what Banseka was just saying there. It's an issue of, as a white person, you are a member of the dominant group, and therefore what I would have maybe wanted more from Adele was taking more of a moment to sit and think about the the platform that she has, the voice that she has and the way that she was going to approach that issue. Maybe she did. I don't know. We don't know what her true intentions were. We can only kind of think about them and surmise what they would be, but I would have liked her to think a little bit more, take another second before, you know, uploading that Insta. Yeah. So just- that's
3: sort of a thing as well. Like, sometimes in this conversation of appropriation and appreciation, we're kind of adopting American culture. Because of the way America is structured, it's always going to be a conversation about appropriation because the power dynamics are just so harsh and violent in a lot of ways. So when people take appropriation and appreciation, I do think we need to put it in the British and the London context. So like me, like I said, I don't necessarily feel like I can speak on it because I'm not Jamaican. However, I can understand that the Jamaican community can feel like everything that is theirs has now become everyone's, i.e. Notting Hill Carnival being a good example. It's kind of lost its meaning in a lot of ways. But that then again, when, for instance, people wear my sort of traditional dress, people in my culture, overall, obviously I can't speak for everyone, but people enjoy it. Like people appreciate it. And I just think sometimes we lose this message in the kind of violent political rhetoric and it's not necessary. Sometimes, sometimes we can just be like, let's look at it from from Britain let's look at it from London let's look at that person's intentions and I think that's sometimes where I try and take it from.
4: I mean I agree with you Helen because I really do think that Notting Hill Carnival has become very commercialized Um, and I'm from Notting Hill born and bred so every year I know the carnival's there because you can just hear the music and over the past few years I've noticed that there are lots of people from different races that come and they just go there to get drunk. It's got to the point where loads of people in the local area don't even want the carnival anymore, they just want it to be banned or moved to a different location and it's sad because when I was younger I would always go to the carnival, i look at the floats um, and then I'd always have the coconut water. It was something that I really enjoyed but I do feel like it has really lost its meaning and with it becoming virtual I feel like the meaning has come back a bit because there's not that opportunity to go out and drink but with an event like the Notting Hill Carnival you want it to celebrate the Caribbean community and the multi-diversity in Notting Hill but I guess the question is how do you make sure that people from other races enjoy it without culturally appropriating or doing it in the wrong way?
3: Personally I think there's a level of education so like I'm the same like I don't live too far from Notting Hill and it's something even as a kid I I have very good memories as a child and if I speak to my mum my mum talks about her being a teenager and going to Notting Hill Carnival but it's such a shame because for instance when she talks about it now she's like it's nothing how it was when she was a teenager or whatever. I think it's education to be honest. People go there and get drunk because they literally think that's what it's for. Mm. There's no notion of like where it comes from, why why it even exists, what it means to the Caribbean community. And although we can adopt it, I still feel like, as someone who's not Caribbean, I still have to recognise, even though I appreciate this culture and I enjoy it, it's not mine. I'm just appreciating what it is. With Notting Hill and with like a lot of these things, the reason why they become fashion statements or they become places you get drunk at is because no one... We don't do enough of the education bit. Even in this country, when you think about the British education system, the reason why you have such a, an argument about this and that and people not understanding where other people are coming from, because we don't do proper education. We don't educate people like the Windrush generation. We don't educate people on colonization. We just expect people to know or some people not to know. And sometimes I think the government does it on purpose just to kind of keep it, you know, not to show all the bad things that Britain did. But I think if there was more of a knowledge and understanding and kind of more of a campaign about how all these different coloured people came to the country, we just wouldn't have such lack of understanding of, of issues.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think education is key when it comes down to kind of the British education system. You know, I, I went to state school as a white middle class class person. And I, I feel like the first time I really appreciated colonialism and the effect and the impact that kind of my past generations had was when I was doing an AS level. So it would have been 16, 17. And I think up until then, I'd learned about Stalin's Russia, I'd learned about Mao's China, I'd learned about the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. but I hadn't learned about colonialism.
4: And I, I think that's
1: just yeah. a really odd way to approach what it means to be British and what history is as well.
0: This unwillingness to talk about race and racist structures is structurally embedded into our system. Do you think this is why people find it so difficult to talk about? Because we just don't know how to?
3: Yeah, yeah. And like, I feel the same in terms of some notions of like, how far reached British colonisation went. I I don't think I knew. Even me, living in malaysia i didn't know that it was a british colony like things like that which are just mad where you're just like how what it's mad that you don't learn it in school and but because not everyone goes to university and they shouldn't have to i think it is about actually changing the school system so that it's kind of embedded i feel like that's the only solution here (laughs) Or, or or just yeah just or just sometimes when you look at go to museums and stuff there's a real lack of like understanding of how things got there And they give you, like, one side of the story. Like, the historiography within a lot of these things are very, like, one-sided.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I'm currently in Edinburgh to study, and the entire city is decorated with colonialists. Only after the Black Lives Matter movement has the written plaque of one of the slave traders, Henry Dundas, has been changed. This man deferred the abolishment of the slave trade, yet it took multitudes of protests and a black man to die for us to even acknowledge his role. I literally walk past a statue every day, and I probably would have never known if this hadn't happened.
1: I agree. I think Edinburgh has some work to do. I went to Edinburgh Uni as well. Yeah, yeah. Edinburgh is super,
2: super white. I'm- There's also a huge piece here for like what media should be doing as well. So like media platforms will run stories about refugees coming here on boats, or immigrants, or black-on-black black crime, or whatever kind of empty story they want to reduce but they'll never contextualize it they'll never give you that wider background so that kind of just makes i think a lot of white british people just feel angry oh people are coming here they're on the take blah 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 and they don't understand the wider kind of political considerations that have often been in play for decades hundreds of years so that the media also needs to do a better job of contextualizing these things so for example we ran um, a story on naked politics about sars and sars which is obviously a very topical thing at the moment and we made sure to include some references to colonization and explaining that like, this is part of the reason why Nigeria is quite corrupt, you know, that it didn't kind of, it wasn't given the time and, and, and space and energy post-colonialism um, and was kind of really left in in, in rubble after after the British left and, and there's been country which has been very much subject to corruption since. So again, it's important to contextualise something that's happening now. That piece from the media is often missing, you know, that wider contextual thing.
4: Yeah, I definitely agree with the media because I've done a lot of things on refugees and I did my thesis on the topic. And I think I also find with the term BAME and POC, sometimes that is quite problematic because it just kind of creates this othering unnecessarily like you're white, you're a person of colour. And it's just like, why can't we just all be part of one race? Why can't we just all kind of work together instead of being against each other? And when I was growing up, I went to Catholic schools and the majority of people were white. And I just never really thought about race that much because I didn't feel comfortable talking about it with my peers. And it's also like they've never had to talk about race. So why am I just going to bring it up? And sometimes I feel like when you talk about race with people that don't understand, They say, why are you trying to be a victim? There are so many other things that people look at when they look at you. Why do you have to make it about race? And for me, that's the upsetting thing is that I'm only making it about race because for so long, people of other countries um, that aren't white, they have to fight even harder than everyone else because they are constantly seen for their race and nothing else.
0: Do you think there are any damaging consequences that come from racial ignorance? From one extreme of othering in the media to
3: being fetishized for your race? I think I get that a lot. Or maybe I think black people in general, like black males and black women are constantly kind of seen as sexual objects anyway. For me, it shows itself in ways where, for instance, the last time I was sexually harassed at like work, it was like a white woman. And when I tried to kind of explain that there were like racial undertones to the situation, I felt as though they didn't understand what I was talking about because the conversation was so nuanced, you know? the conversations about my hair, the conversations about my body and these types of things. I think sometimes then people don't need, people can say, okay, somewhat that was sexual harassment, but they couldn't necessarily understand the racial undertones of the conversation. People don't see it that way from the outside, even though we know it's racial fetishization because of the way the specific things that were acknowledged that were so stereotypical to like a black woman's body and stuff. Growing up in London, everyone is diverse, but then yeah, going to somewhere like Nottingham where to some extent, like especially in first year, Some people had never really interacted with black people. So to see someone like me, who's so dark or whatever, it's like, oh, yeah, like I've never, like, I've never, you know, been with a black girl. And it's like, what do you want me to do with that information? Like, why are you telling me this? But you seem to think that this is like a particular fact that you should tell me. And I don't know what that's meant to do with me. There's like this weird racial play that I just don't want to get into. Like, I have no time for it. I don't even want to entertain it. I also don't want to, like, teach you why that's wrong because I think that is weird that you think that's okay. I've got a Hinge profile and I screenshotted the message from someone that someone sent me and they basically said like, oh, I've never been with a black girl. Like, are you interested? And I was just messaging back like, what's wrong with you? But it's also like, I'm not here to teach you because for you to be X age and think that's okay, is just very weird. And I think it just kind of worries me because I'm like, how many white males go around fetishizing non-white women and thinking it's like, interesting to us or thinking it's okay to say out loud
0: it's just so normalized now not just with black women but with asian women native women muslim women like they just take aspects of their culture sexualize it and then capitalize off it like themselves and their culture is almost commodified
2: absolutely yeah and I think that black men experience it as well, it's slightly different for them because I suppose men being sexualized is always going to be seen as a more positive thing than women being sexualized because women are also um, looked down upon for being sexual and it is ultimately a lot of it is based on very crude perceptions of black men, this idea that they're very sexually promiscuous, that they're gonna be good the, get in bed, you know all the kind of usual, you know what I'm hitting at, the usual you know stereotypes about the way black men are and on the surface level that might seem very positive, like you might be able to look at, I'm coming back to to the Kardashians, but you might be able to look at them and be like, oh look at them, isn't it great, they've all married black people, they must like really not be racist, but actually like, you know, sometimes that fascination, you know, the the type of woman that's like, oh I only date black men, Mm. why? (laughs) What, What stereotypes are you holding about black men that are actually in many ways quite dangerous makes you say and, 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 and think that it's incredibly dehumanising for them. You know, they are seen just through that very narrow lens of being hyper-masculine, highly sexually active, highly sexually promiscuous. And actually that's really reducing Black men to a very narrow dimension of, of existence. You know, I think it's one of those things that again, like white people might say without necessarily realising like actually that's not great that you that you say that or that you think that and you need to question like why why is it that you say those things and that you, you do only date black men like is it are you basing that on a stereotype maybe it's just a preference i'm not against preferences but i think people just sometimes question that a little bit more and think to themselves what well, what does that mean when i when i say that when i think these things
0: i actually saw an example of this a few days ago i think it was adele on an snl skit called africa where Various women were hypersexualizing black men and encouraging African tourism, and just being really derogatory. I found, I found such a deep, deep connection
4: there. You can feel it in your stomach.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I would say, like, even within my experience, I spoke to like other black men working like the financial services, and I was like, yeah, this thing happened to me, and they were like yeah that happens to me with like white women all the time and like talking obviously about like their like bodies in such a sexual way so I was like okay this is such a problem but like okay organizations can like look at sexual harassment and if you tell them about sexual harassment most organizations take it very seriously But what they lack is the nuance to understand the racial elements of these situations. And like I said, I've been through it myself, so I know there's a real lack of nuance. And yeah, no, there's definitely a problem. And I think with black men, they experience it just as much. And I think even in my situation, because it was a woman and not a man, it was so difficult for me to understand that it happened. It took me like six months to realize it, but it was because I was like, kind of processing the racial and the gender like norms of the situation. So I think like the racial festivization is such a particular thing that we're not
2: maybe talking about in as much detail as we should be. Yeah, and I think this is where like conversations around intersectionality need to come in as well. Like it's not just feminism and racism and homophobia, like you can suffer all of those things at once. And the way in which you experience sexism, for example, as a black woman will be different than the way a woman experiences, a white woman, sorry, experiences sexism. So this is also where people need to get in with the lingo and that the understanding that these systems all work together rather than sit separately. Um, otherwise, you're seen through the lens of white feminism, which is actually no good to you because you're not white.
0: <laughs> Banseka, can I take this opportunity to go into your article about the Kardashians?
2: Yeah, I've already mentioned them twice, but Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so you use the phrase culture vulture to describe them. Um, I really like that phrase. Can you go into that a bit more?
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think culture vulture is, is for me, it's, it's very much, it's just a way of describing appropriation, really. And obviously the term vulture is, vultures steal, don't they? They like steal scraps. And for me, that that is very much what they do. They steal black women's identities. They steal black women's ideas, you know, design ideas for clothes, things like that. Um, they steal black women's phenotype and so I think I mentioned in the article I I said it was a bit of an irony that you know I grew up at school in white suburbia right um hating like my body type because I just wanted to be really slim and and fit those kind of slim white western women's body ideals and then I grow up and get older and then suddenly everyone wants a bum like the Kardashians everyone wants curves and hips and boobs and all that stuff and I'm like well hang on a minute I was bullied at school for this (laughs) for looking like this like so for me yeah like they are culture vultures because they have taken, you know, some sort of very typically black female um, attributes, ideas, qualities, and they have monetized it, understanding very cleverly that as white women pretending to be black women, they can always make more money than actual black women.
1: Yeah, I think that commercialization—it's taking culture, but then it's making money off it, making profit off it. A lot of people I spoke to when I was writing the article about Adele—that's that's one part that they really took issue with the commercialization of Notting Hill Carnival how people are making money off that or someone referred to Jamie Oliver and the kind of jerk rice fiasco where he decided to create a jerk rice recipe for some reason and he got obviously it was a bit of a scandal in the press and I think at the time of ideas of race and you know like commercialization and appropriation weren't quite so nuanced weren't quite so developed and I think if something like that were to happen now it would be a lot more political and people would be getting a lot more involved. I think that's a really key distinction like between Adele, which she probably was appreciating, she wasn't making any money off that Instagram post and then someone like the Kardashians who are making absolute millions of dollars. Yeah I mean when you
2: think about how much like Kylie's lip kit, like how much money she must rake in from just that alone, from having lips that that mimic black women's lips, there's a there's a wealth of difference between Adele where the lines are maybe a bit blurred, but ultimately I think it's okay and what the Kardashians do, which is, you know, is very bad.
4: I mean, I really like the term culture vulture. It's kind of one of the things that stuck in my head when I read your article about second. And it kind of links to another term which is black fishing. So when people from other races typically caucasians, they might take different physical attributes of a different race, or they might use tanning filters or they kind of make caricatures of different races. So there's one woman um, and she's called Martina Big. It's a funny episode, but in a way you kind of feel sorry for her because she completely changes what she looks like to try and be in her own words, African black. And it's just like, if you think that that's what an African woman is, then I don't know what you're reading because that's not an African
0: Why do you think that these women would want to be another race and transform themselves into this perception that they have of black women?
3: I mean, when you think about it, it's actually, it's like, we have to, we have to say, like, it's quite sad, really, like, that standard of beauty is becoming, like, one type of person. So one type of colour, not too dark, not too, not too pale. One type of idea of, like, what is sexually appealing to to the mass or whatever. But the thing is, what I would say to that is, you know, you can do all these things, but you can never really understand the struggle because you don't have to. You can always dip whenever you want.
2: And I would say as well, like... You know, people have compared this to being trans, for example, which is obviously where you're born physically in one gender, but you feel inside that you're another. And like, I actually think that's completely different because there's nothing inherently real at all about race. When we talk about race, like it's real and actually like it's not real at all. Like, There's no real genetic differences between the races. Um, And race is something highly constructed. So this idea that like, oh, I feel like I'm black, even though I'm white. It's like, well, no, like there's actually no difference between you being black or white. So I I guess I can't really condone or, or understand like why somebody who is quote of one race, they've been racialized that way anyway, they're not really any different race at all, would then want to become another. Race is something that you are socialized into ultimately. You know, I'm technically mixed heritage, My mum is Indian and my dad is black. And yet, predominantly, I'll be seen through the lens of blackness and therefore see myself predominantly as a black woman because that's just ultimately how I've been racialized. So, yeah, I I really don't agree with this idea that, like, oh, I just feel inside that I'm something else. It's like, you can't feel like that (laughs) because race isn't real. It's not a reality. We tell ourselves that it is and there's no scientific basis for it whatsoever.
3: This concept that, like, any race has a certain type of nose or has certain types of eyes or has certain type of whatever... It's very insulting because like like not every black woman has big boobs and big butts, and there is just like one way that we all look because we're all of this race. It's insulting because you're creating a caricature because you see a certain X amount of black people or Asian people or white people that look a certain way, and you're saying that everyone looks that way, and it's just not true because then you, you kind of diminish this concept of diversity within like black culture itself and diversity within like just the way people look. And if you are, for instance, a black girl who does not look like that then all of a sudden where do you sit within the culture because you are not less black in any type of way. Do you think that there should be any
2: sort of policing around white people wanting to become black? I just think this all comes back really to education. I find myself these days finding it really hard sometimes to talk about race with a lot of people because it's just like you're over here and I'm over here and we're having two very different conversations <laughs> right now and it's and you get to a point as a black person where it's like I don't have the energy anymore to to keep explaining things that are now very basic to me so for me it's, it's all in education you know stuff like the black curriculums, colonialism and all this stuff in schools like it, the key has to be in education and then hopefully we'll see a lot less of this as we kind of strive to a more equal world when we live in a more equal world maybe a lot of this stuff just won't matter there won't be any appropriation because we'll all be on a level playing field and no one will care but we're not going to get there without education I guess.
1: Yeah I think that's a really interesting point to make there about whose responsibility it is to talk about race and I and I feel like you know after speaking to a lot of black people about race they've said you know why do people keep asking me why do white people keep coming to me and asking me oh what can I do to help how can I you know how can I not be racist is this racist is this not and I just think that racism isn't just one party it's not just black people being black it's white people being white it's whiteness and blackness working together and creating this snowball effect of racism and i think that ultimately the responsibility does lie with white people like of course we want it to happen in schools of course we want it to happen in our media but also you do have to take the time you just have to go out and you have to find it and when black people are talking about race you have to listen you have to read the books you have to read the literature you have to watch films you have to watch videos you have to talk to black people that you know but not ask them all the time you and then if you feel uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable. I, I just don't think it's a problem, white people feeling uncomfortable.
4: I don't think it's an issue. Sometimes I feel like you can never fully appropriate a culture because technically you're taking the physical parts of things that people see on the outside, but you're never going to understand how people in that culture feel. we are never going to truly be part of that culture. And it's also a thing of... With some people like Martina Big, perhaps they are trying to change their race, but if you can't change a race. That's always going to be a part of you. So, do you feel like when people do appropriate a culture, they technically will never ever fully know what it means, and they can't appropriate it? the main things, the things that are important, are actually things that will never ever be taken from a group.
3: The good things and the bad things of a culture, you can't really understand. Well to be honest it's culture's evolving and changing just because like I'm Nigerian and I'm Yoruba does not mean I know everything about being a Nigerian Yoruba person. I mean I can talk about my own experience and I can talk about that in the context of growing up in Britain but the reality is like my culture changes and evolves every single day too. I think when it's more niche when you see like black fishing and stuff I think that's when there's like nuanced conscious effort to kind of be part of a culture and know that you're stealing from it but pretending that you're not so you're like gaslighting the community
2: i think um, helen touched on this before but this idea that like can we for example as black people be appropriating other black cultures that are not necessarily our own so talking about beyonce and black is king and obviously she's black but she's not she's not african oh. she hasn't grown up in, in a specific african culture so to what extent is that appropriation as well which I don't think I have an answer to to be honest probably because I'm biased I'm a massive Beyonce fan (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I think it's a really interesting point because there is often I think I've picked up this frustration sometimes between like African people and black Americans don't really like black Americans necessarily speaking for them or telling you know narratives about the continental African cultures through A kind of Black American lens, which is different. So yeah, I don't think I even have an answer on it. But I guess I'd just be really interested to know maybe what other people thought about it.
3: I think when it comes to um, people like Beyonce or whatever as a whole, I think like I'm in a privileged position in some ways as a Black person where I can trace my history back a hundred years if I really wanted to. I could go to my great granddad's like house. And I think when Africans a lot of the time do talk in that way, I think we're being very insensitive to the fact that like a lot of black people across the world have lost hundreds and hundreds of years of their history. And all they know is kind of, they can trace it back to, again, slavery. So I think for us to to look down on people trying to find a notion of what, who they are and what blackness means to them, I don't think I can tell you it's wrong. Where it becomes wrong is when you, again, you don't do the education, taking it for a music video, not understanding like the historical ideas of it. But equally, like I said, I can't judge you, especially when you don't have the privilege of me to know and trace your history back hundreds of years. I think there are blurred
0: lines within the black community about what cultural appropriation is, especially between African-Americans and within the continent. But does it really matter, like you said, if African-Americans appropriate a culture that they may well be from? But what I find quite insensitive is when North American artists' appropriate religion, like Drake rapping lyrics which are laced with Islamic words when he's not a Muslim, and Rihanna using an Islamic hadith in her Fenty shows, surely it's not right for
3: artists to use Islam and pretty sacred Islamic hadiths. To be, I find that to be such a tough one because like half, of, half of Africa is Muslim. so. Yeah can they be like because i think there is a conversation there which people don't really talk about where it comes to like being muslim it's just about being like arabic and and or being from the middle east and actually half of africa muslims and christians live in harmony i know that but what
0: i don't understand is why drake with no connection to islam is using these phrases in his music
3: it's an interesting one because like you know how i was saying like for instance if you grew up in london people say like patois terms yeah, but like, yeah. like the school i went to was very arabic so like people like me who's not like Muslim yeah. or arabic people would say inshallah people 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 kind of like put it into their everyday language yeah. what i went to a predominantly arabic school so in that sense i would just be like well that's just people talking yeah but then maybe people would say that about like saying wagwan or something do you know what i mean
2: yeah. yeah My thing for me with the language and stuff is it's like if you want to eat jerk chicken Mm-hmm. and rice and peas and you want to say wagwani you want to say peng and whatever that's fine but just make sure that when you're confronted with racism when you know you've got opportunities to challenge racism anti-blackness within your spheres you make sure you're doing that to counterbalance the fact that you're using our culture all the time you better make sure you're also putting in the work of defending that culture and defending those people who make that culture as well don't just take from the culture and then you never you keep your mouth closed when your grandma's got something racist to say <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that, I think that's kind of why I draw the line but language is hard as you said like especially when you're growing up in a, a multicultural environment like London where you know there is that really wide mix of, of, of
4: different cultures
0: yeah I guess London is just its own country
4: um, <laughs> I think so that's the
0: only conclusion I have
4: so I think to round up it'd be nice to think about cultural appreciation slash appropriation as a positive thing so do any of you have any case studies or perhaps where you've seen it being used in a good way to raise awareness for a cause
1: I was lucky enough to spend three months volunteering in Nepal in a tiny little rural village there and I think culture was definitely you go and you think it's going to be more of a one-way thing of kind of you learning about local culture um kind of another race another religion but actually you don't realize how much it is a two-way street and you're learning they're learning about your culture you're learning about their culture and you're also learning again about your culture when you're when you're taken out of your dominant culture and placed somewhere else you don't realize how much you do have to learn about yourself and I think you know there were some really poignant moments those cultural boundaries just really merged and it was just beautiful and I think that that was complete appreciation both ways of each other's cultures And, you know, there was no money made off it. It was more of a personal experience. But I do think that that was definitely kind of a force for good in my life. And hopefully in those, well, I know in those people's lives, one of the girls I went with, she was about to be put into kind of a forced marriage. And she, after talking to us and listening to our views over the course of three months, You know felt strong enough to say to her parents that that wasn't what she wanted and she wanted to go to university.
4: I think that's something that happens and unfortunately it's something that I don't agree with and I'm lucky that I've grown up in the west so it's never been something put upon me but it's lovely to see examples where there is that change happening where women are starting to find their voice.
3: I also just might just talk about a more personal example, Um, I'm Nigerian and when I was younger, like 10 or 11 and I went to Nigeria, my mum's friend came. Her friend is white, she's Hungarian, blonde hair, blue eyes, and she came with us to Nigeria and stayed with us for like three weeks. I really feel like that's a good example. Yes, she did get her hair done, but you know, she was actually in Nigeria. And I think having like a Hungarian woman who grew up in Hungary, come all the way across the world with us just to kind of like see Nigeria, It's something that I will always remember as a good example of why we need to be appreciating each other's cultures and like actually wanting to like get stuck in. And then my other example is just like weddings. I'm sure like weddings are such a big thing in like all our cultures. And I really appreciate like, for instance, being able to go to weddings that I'm not from being able to, you know, like go to a Malaysian wedding or an Indian wedding and really just be fascinated by like every single thing and every single tradition and, and all aspects of those cultures and vice versa, having like non Nigerians come to our culture and wear what we wear is things that I really appreciate. And I think maybe weddings is just always that one time where everyone's just like on good vibes and just wants (laughs) to like enjoy
2: and like be fascinated and just wants to see. My example is also a wedding. So I've been to like a couple of Indian weddings and it was really cool to see white people really having done their research in terms of what they were going to wear. So like the bride wears red and so people are careful to like make sure that they like women didn't wear didn't wear red and really thought about their outfits and what was going to be like respectful. And I think weddings, you're right, are like a really nice space where people can can embrace the culture, but do it in a way that's really positive, really respectful and and is contextualized. That makes sense. Um, And then I guess my other example is probably just. Black is King by Beyonce, just because I feel like she really did her research. Like she didn't just go to all these African countries and not think about what she was doing. You could see there was a lot of thought that had gone into the various different symbolism, dresses, the whole visualisation of it. She platformed a lot of African artists as well, which again, like many people don't do. So she didn't just take their work. For me, that was an example of a positive way of putting a, a light on African cultures um, that was not just taking from the culture and giving nothing back.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. This was an incredible conversation.
2: Thanks
3: for having me. It was really nice to meet all of you. I actually just really enjoyed talking. It was just a really interesting conversation and I was generally just interested to know what you guys thought about things, so thanks for having me really yeah same thank you so much for joining us
0: thank you to our incredible guests helen Banseka and amy for joining us for this discussion today do make sure to check out their campaigns their work and their socials and we will see you here next month for more ggm uk